Marketing copywriting uses words to persuade people. In contrast, content strategy and UX writing use words as design tools to move people through a flow. Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in to Nodes of Design. To help support our mission spread knowledge, we have a very special guest on today's episode. Let's welcome Janelle Talkington. She's a professional content strategist, two-time content team manager and also a digital marketing dabbler. Presently, she's working with Facebook as a content designer where she's focusing on mobile ads and platform and creating creative ad experiences for the end users. In this episode, Janelle had shared wonderful insights on words as design tools where we discussed about her journey into creative writing and tips to the beginners out there. And also we spoke on what exactly is content strategy and how designers can use the power of words in designing beautiful experiences. In the later part, we discussed on how UX writing needs to be accessible and how to craft words for accessibility. We spoke on the context of crafting UI text that should be an integral part of design process and what are the various methods that Janelle personally had followed while crafting the UI text as a part of a design process. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode and on every Friday we release new episodes with different creative leaders from around the world to help you better understand different concepts related to design. So don't forget to tune in into Notes of Design every Friday. With that being said, happy designing everyone. Hi, Janelle. Welcome to Nodes of Design. It's a pleasure hosting you today on our show. Hi, I'm super happy to be here. So, Janelle, how's your day going? Uh, it's not bad. Um, I was just telling you, like, we're at the halfway mark through the year, which is kind of a moment for reflection for me. been thinking about how the year has gone so far, things I'd like to change, things I'm proud of. Yeah, it's, it's good to take a moment to kind of reflect, even if it's not at the year's end, kind of in the midway point. Wonderful, Jen. So, if you could give a brief about yourself to our audience out there. Sure. So my name is Janelle Torkington. I am a content strategist at Facebook. I live in London presently. I've been here for two years, but my heart is in Barcelona. Um, previously, I've been a freelance conversion copywriter, a creative strategist, a community manager, a content writer, an English teacher, and even a restaurant critic for a luxury travel magazine. So I've gotten paid for words in a lot of different arenas, and I'm happy to talk a little bit about, about how those things inform what I do now. That's wonderful, Janelle. So let's discuss today's topic, which is words as design tools. So what was your journey into writing and how did you start? What are tips to the beginners that you want to suggest now? Great. Um, sure. So I these days, I don't call myself a creative writer anymore, or at least I, I don't get paid for that kind of writing. Um, I've been known to dabble in slam poetry, but I've never gotten a paycheck for it. Content strategy definitely includes some creativity, but it's more of a, a UX-focused profession, which means there's a much higher emphasis on data over aesthetics. Um, I've worked in marketing before as what I, I call myself a creative strategist, which has more to do with creative writing through like some branding work where you might have a little bit more license to be flowery. Uh, Marketing copywriting uses words to persuade people, right? Usually it's to buy something or to subscribe or what have you. Sometimes it's called conversion copywriting for that reason. You're trying to get people to convert to, to do something that you want them to do. 
In contrast, content strategy and UX writing use words as design tools to move people through a flow. So like from my perspective, UX writing is kind of a subset of content strategy. Um, an example of UX writing would be the words on a button or the items in a menu or the instructions in a modal and so on and so forth. Content strategy zooms out to a systems level to determine the standards that should govern the content within a system and to identify opportunities to leverage that content to build a better product. So like a simpler way to say this, I always like to say that product design designs with pixels, whereas UX writers design with words. Both pixels and words are information design. They're tools that are used to help users make their way from point A to point B. It's the same as copy helps users make their way down a marketing funnel, but instead of a funnel, it's a user flow in a product. Content strategists and UX writers work hand in hand with other kinds of designers, um, and they use simple words to explain and clarify things. By the way, you'll sometimes maybe hear the term microcopy flow around for what UX writers do. I strongly dislike this term because it implies a very small scope for the work. Just because very few words end up on a particular button doesn't mean that they didn't require a ton of research, data, and consideration to write. So if you're looking into getting into this field, um, developing a strong love for data and, and proving why a certain word works the way it does to get a user from point A to point B, that's, that's I think, the passion that you need to drive you to succeed in this field. I have always had a love for words, um, and uh, finding a way to get paid for that love for words uh, has has been what's inspired me every step of the way. Uh, I, I started out getting paid to teach other people English, right? And kind of a, a base level that allows a lot of native English speakers to move to different countries and, and uh, kind of try out a bunch of different things. But then I got into the world of tech where I was paid to create content. And from there got really interested in using words to help people do things, um, whether it was to buy a product that they were interested in or eventually like more UX focused to, to help them use a product. And, and I started niching down into this from a general like love of language into a uh, specific fascination with with words as UX tools. Thank you so much, Janelle, for taking us through your journey and it was really wonderful. So what exactly is content strategy and how designers can use the power of words in designing beautiful experiences? This is a great question. Um, before I got a recruitment call from Facebook asking if I wanted to interview for a position as a content strategist, I literally had never heard of content strategy before. I had to Google it immediately after the call. I thought I was a copywriter and that that was the end of it. But it turns out that the more like systems level thinking that I had been doing using words as design tools has a name and that name is content strategy. So I consider myself a designer. That's the first word that I always use to talk about, about what I do. Um, design is the big bucket category and content strategy is one aspect of design. Uh, UX research is another aspect of design. Product design is another aspect of design, right? So some examples of concrete things that content strategists might do, um, they run content audits to identify systemic problems. Um, one recent one that I ran, for example, was on all the errors in a, in a certain part of the product in order to determine how, how can we systemically improve the content to improve the user experience. A content strategist might write playbooks or tone frameworks or governance, put, putting in um, systems such that we have consistency throughout the product and, and a brand voice is developed that helps the user use the product better. Uh, content strategists focus on internationalization and localization and deal with accessibility concerns. And of course, they also 
actually write the words that are in the UX, um, which means the words on the button and in the menu and so forth. Um, content strategy uh, creates a purpose and a vision and a direction for the content in the first place, which is a pretty beautiful goal, if you ask me. Uh, content problems are really just business problems, you know, that uh, because these, these problems will waste time and money for organizations if they're not solved. And content can be a major tool in, in helping businesses function more uh, optimally. Thank you, Janelle. So UX writing needs to be accessible to users with different abilities, right? So as well as to enjoy consistent experience. So how do you craft words to accessibility? Sure. Yeah. Another great question. The most common accessibility concern for digital products uh, is people with visual impairments. That's usually the first thing that you think about. So that means that they might be using a screen reader, for example. Another obvious uh, accessibility concern is people with audio impairments. Um, not to mention that some people might just have the sound off on their device for whatever reason. That's why subtitles on any sort of videos featured in your product are critical. Another massive aspect of accessibility that, that people don't always put in the same basket is internationalization because you can't can't access a product if it's not written in a language that you can understand. Content strategy should be the leading force in any team to champion accessible products in all of these aspects, and even more depending on what kind of product you're building, right? For example, one critical tool in your toolbox is string descriptions of every element within a product. So this is a part that's within the code that usually does not show up in the UI for, for somebody who's not using a screen reader. Um, however, if you are using a screen reader, then that's how it knows how to identify what all of the different elements are on the screen and how they relate to each other. And it, it tells you what a, a, it, it, the screen reader can read out uh, orally, like what the button actually is. Uh, it also helps with translations. Like if you're using external translators, there's no way that they're going to be consistent across your product unless you can give them string descriptions to, in order to put your words in context. And then on top of that, if, if you've got a bunch of terms that are specific to your product, it's, it's great to have a whole library of terminology standards that your translators can reference to ensure that every time a term is used, it's used and translated in the exact same way. All of these are, in fact, accessibility concerns that have content solutions by just ensuring standards of quality across the entire ecosystem of your product. Thank you so much, Janelle, for breaking it out so well. And it was really great to hear that. Why crafting UI text should be an integral part of design process? What's the method that you follow? Okay, my simple answer is that you should care about words because words have meaning. You can't just use words as filler for visual design because pixels and words are both components of information design. I am wildly against ever, ever using lorem ipsum in mocks because of the impression that it gives the team that, oh yeah, we'll just fill in the words later. Don't worry about those. Content is critical to get people from point A to point B. Not only that, but it educates, it guides, it sets a tone, and it establishes a relationship between product and user. So ideally, product designers and content strategists are working on a project in parallel from start to finish so that content can inform the pixels and the pixels can inform the content. Just like product designers have component libraries and visual playbooks that they reference when making design decisions, content strategists have reference materials containing content standards, terminologies, accepted content patterns, and so forth. When I've followed all of the standards available to me to work up content to the best of my ability, that's when I know it's time 
time to bring in another pair of eyes because design always gets better when you can polish it with more great designers, right? And plus it's just really easy to miss small things without checking with somebody else. Even when you might disagree with their feedback, it makes design stronger when you have to explain and justify why you made certain decisions. Thank you so much, Janet. So what are some practical UX writing tips that you suggest? Well, if you're coming from creative writing or content marketing like I did, you probably have the same kind of love of language that I have that caused you to want to get paid to write in the first place. That's super great. That passion is going to take you really far. However, if you're anything like me, that passion for words might tempt you to write content that is way longer and more flowery than is appropriate for effective UX. I know you love words, but more is not more. <laughs> cut, cut, and cut again. That is not to say, of course, that the shortest content is the best content. It's like that old joke that your teacher used to make about an essay being as long as a piece of string. Content should be exactly as long as it needs to be and no longer. And other than that, the biggest tip is not everyone can write. And <laughs> everyone like thinks they can write because everyone had to write those essays and such back in school. But not everyone on your team should be giving their opinion on your content. Opinions are not what builds good content. And unless you're building a tool that's going to be internal to your team only, then they probably aren't your target users either. <laughs> Great content comes from leveraging research and data, not your teammates' well-intentioned but likely baseless opinions. Wow, that was wonderful, Janelle. Thank you for that. So Janelle, how can one establish their own content standards? Um, it's, it's tricky to do that if you don't have anything to start off. You know, I work at Facebook, which means that I entered into a system where a lot was already established and I could reference a lot of material that was already there if I ever had a question. It was very rare that I worked from zero, but there's plenty of smaller teams that you might join where nobody's really thought of writing up standards before. And my advice is to start small because it's very, very intimidating to have to begin with a blank page and write out the capitalization standards across the entire product, right? Like that's super difficult. Start in a place that you know needs attention. Like maybe you're working on um, releasing a redesign for a specific small segment of, that, of the project. Start there. Start with things that you're working on within that tiny little slice of, of what's relevant right now for you. Start with things that you know are an issue, like uh, something that always bugs you. You always see different um, punctuation around the, the menu items, right? And and you know that that's a problem. So when you get to the moment of fixing it, that's when you should automatically put in the impulse to like write a standard for it as well. Will this make standards overnight? Absolutely not. This will take some time. Uh, it, 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 it could take you know, months in order to write up a series of standards this way. But I think it's a lot more organic um, and is more likely to yield practically useful results than trying to sit down and give 100% of your focus just to cranking out standards within a short period of time. Um, so, so little by little does it really if you're starting from zero. So Janelle, if you see right now, like personally, my few of the followers on Instagram also reached on me. So there are now a lot of AI tools that are assisting people to write. But in a way, people are now so tend to forget like where to put even comma or full stop other things because so much of assistive writing is happening. What's mm -hmm. your take on that? What do you think? Oh, that's an interesting question. Well, the writing that I do for work, like content strategy, it does follow plenty of 
official standards, right? Like very prescriptive standards. Um, they're modified somewhat from say AP standards or Chicago standards that you might like follow when writing an essay. Uh, and they are specific to the products that I am working on. Um, so it is very prescriptive kind of writing. That said, I am not a prescriptive linguist. <laughs> this is funny. This is hearkening back like to my, my days of, of studying, right? I think that language uh, must evolve for it to be alive. And I think that it's really exciting to watch the ways in which people communicate change as a lot more of it happens online. Um, something that we are seeing more and more is a kind of informal writing. Uh, before uh, the advent of, of the internet, um, only oral speech used to be informal and so had the tendency to uh, evolve a lot more rapidly than written speech where you could kind of police the rules more easily. Now, everyone is writing informally all the time through texting, through tweeting, through what have you, right? And that means that there's a lot more uh, mutation at, at the forefront of, of written text. And I think that that's a really cool thing to watch happen. And I wouldn't dare to um, be prescriptive of, about it and, and admonish people for their common usage, you know? Like, um, the writing that I get paid for is about being hyper clear and ensuring that that the the essential meaning gets across and that I can really help the user get from point A to point B. But like when you're expressing yourself through informal writing online, I think you can be as playful as you want to be. And and part of that includes bending the rules. So I'm all for it. I'm in favor. <laughs> you know, like put the commas wherever you want them. <laughs> Thank you so much, Janet. So on a concluding note, we would love you to recommend us three favorite books of yours and also three people who inspire you the most in this domain. Sure. Um, so I really had to think about this question. Uh, I, I read constantly um, and I, I was trying to think of books that would fit the people who are listening to this, this podcast. Um, so I think the number one book that I would recommend to anyone aspiring to get into UX at all uh, is not a UX-related book. It's actually uh, called The Culture Map by Aaron Meyer. Uh, it's a business-oriented book that is about international communication and the different ways in which our cultures uh, bias the way that we, we communicate with each other. And it absolutely shifted my my perspective on that. As you might imagine, uh, working at Facebook is a very, very international environment. And I hadn't realized my own biases that I was bringing in from being from the United States. I mean, I've, I've been out of the States for a long time, but but I, I'm certainly culturally informed from being from there. And this helped me understand like on, I think there's eight different axes in the book. It kind of plots different cultures along these, these axes and explains how they might interact in the working environment because of how they feel about their relationship to time or how they develop trust between um, people working together uh, or how they deliver negative feedback. And uh, it, it was mind blowing. And I would recommend it for anyone in UX because I think it helps you understand that the ways in which you understand, you approach these things are not necessarily like the norm and helps build an enormous amount of empathy towards people who who might approach things in a different way so yeah the culture map by Aaron Meyer I recommend that to almost everyone I come across but especially to anyone who wants to work in UX um the other ones uh I'd recommend so you've been publicly shamed by John Ronson this is a good follow-up to the the question about uh language evolving on Twitter and such so this book is about uh internet culture and 
how when someone does something uh, negative online, um, the propensity for online communities to shame them, to use shame as a as a tool of uh, punishment towards somebody who, who has committed some kind of fault, and and how that, uh, in conjunction with um, how much of our life is on the internet these days, uh, affects the ways in which we relate to each other. And I just I found it absolutely fascinating. Uh, I sped through it really, really. Uh, solid read. And then finally, I'll recommend a work of fiction, maybe my favorite one from the last several years, called The First 15 Lives of Harry August by Claire North. Uh, it is about a man who uh, goes through his whole life, pretty normal life, through the 20th century, and when he dies, he finds that he wakes up at the exact same moment that he was born before, but he keeps all of his memories. And then it happens again, and then it happens again. And it's just a great premise. It's a new twist on time travel, kind of, um, eh, what is that Bill Murray movie? Groundhog Day, but um, eh, stretched out over an entire lifetime. Eh, it's absolutely excellent. Um, riveting read if you want to lose yourself in some good fiction. Um, so I've thought of three people who are at least somewhat in the realm of design and writing and so forth kind of related. So the person who inspires me so, so much frequently, almost every single day is named Anna Hetzel. So Anna and I became freelance conversion copywriters at the same time about two and a half, three years ago now, but they stuck with it while I got hired on full-time by Facebook. And now Anna is one of the best in the damn business. Uh, they write with human-centered, data-driven conversion copies. So they're doing that thing where they're getting people to do things, uh, but they're they're proving the reason why their words can do it. And, and it's really impressive. Um, they help growing brands strengthen relationships and retain their customers. Uh, not only that, but they're an absolute beam of sunshine that adds immense joy and care to any project. If you need a copywriter, they should be the first name that you look to. Anna Hetzel is is amazingly impressive. Yeah, just really, really into everything that they write. Uh, the next name I'm going to drop is uh, Dan Eden. He is a design lead at Facebook. Uh, he works on design systems for ads and business products. He also uh, publishes a ton of his thinking about design systems, including how they scale, how they break, and the people that maintain them. You can find a lot of his writing online. He is an absolutely incredible communicator who connects the across design and engineering in a way that can really influence teams to actually change their practices for the better. I try to learn a ton from Dan, uh, and I think a lot of other people could stand to learn a ton from him too. Um, Finally, uh, this is somebody that I don't know in person, but who I have been following for years. Their name is Nikki Case. Uh, Nikki is an absolutely phenomenal developer who makes what they call explorable explanations, which are essentially flash simulators touching on everything from game theory to coming out as LGBTQ+, to how COVID-19 is evolving. I'm in constant awe of Nikki's approach to inviting careful consideration of complex concepts through interaction, interactive design. And not to mention their stuff is super fun to play with. I highly recommend losing yourself around their site. Have a play with all the different interactions. Uh, this stuff is super fascinating and you might just learn something. Uh, Nikki Case is that name. Thank you so much, uh, Janelle, for giving us these great recommendations. And uh, thanks for giving us your wonderful time and joining the Mission Spread Knowledge. We are looking forward to host you again in our upcoming episodes. That would be an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode. And if this episode has helped you to gain better insights on design, then don't forget to share this with a friend or a colleague and be the part of the movement to democratize design. And also, if you like this episode, don't forget to rate us on whatever platform you are listening on.